Hey, Fresh Capital listeners. In this episode, we're talking about Fortescue Metals Group, one of Australia's blue chip companies. With a twist, though. We tend to stay away from mining companies, but Fortescue has a lot of tech and science in them, which makes it a fascinating business to break down. Of course, it all starts with their iron ore mining, but they're also moving into one of the world's most anticipated future fuels, green hydrogen. This is a great episode to understand the whole industry. Keep listening and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan. Joining me as always, Albert. Albert, how are you? Dan, I'm good. I think this is, we haven't recorded in Sydney in a while, so welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we've both been to Canberra and back, seen our families, all that sort of thing. But we haven't been to Western Australia, Albert, where this business is located. That's probably a pretty clunky segue, but oh. I, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was pro- I was there like a month ago, like maybe exactly a month ago. I was That's right. You had a wedding there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Did you Good segue, uh, catch any, catch any mining, catch any iron ore while you're there? I did. I did get on the tools. You know, I brought my, my spade, dug a few holes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a national pastime in that in that state. State pastime. So, we're talking about Fortescue Metals Group, which is an Australian-based iron ore miner. It's actually not too old, Albert. I was surprised to see that it started in 2008, and now it's become the world's fourth largest producer of iron ore. A lot of that obviously being exported from Australia to China. Um, it's expansion from you know about 55 million tons in 2012 being exported to now 185 million tons so they've really you know upped the ante and now they supply nearly 10% of global seaborne iron ore so they're a big player albert what do you think of fortescue metals just off the top of the top of the head huge player i think this is a really interesting and healthy business you know if it didn't fall into like my values and my like personal investing philosophy, I probably wouldn't, you know, really look at this business closely as, you know, like a flagship Australian blue chip company, which it is. Um, but, you know, initial thoughts that come to mind when I think about Fortescue, you know, I like what they're doing, trying to diversify into the space with um, FFI, Fortescue Future Industries, which we'll talk about. Uh, you know, I really like, you know, the health of the business. They've got a really strong balance sheet. They're performing really well. Um, you know, they're just, they're just a cash machine. Yeah, they are. But I think there's some really interesting things to tease out. And maybe we will circle back to that sort of ESG uh, ethical lens when we view investments as well towards the end. But, you know, I think there's no getting around the fact that uh, huge parts of our life are dependent on mining, are dependent on energy generation, are dependent on, you know, some of these industries. And really, as an investor, we should be understanding what these businesses are, how they generate money, how they are integrated into the economy because there's opportunities there and I think whether or not you decide that your portfolio is weighted a different way, there's a lot of benefits just from understanding some of the key concepts. So with that in mind, Albert, we were talking before we started recording, you know, a key concept here when we look at commodities in general, which is obviously a big part of the area that Fortescue plays in, 
is this concept of sort of arbitrage. So we want to break that down to start off with. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's talk about arbitrage for a bit. So, um, you know, as a, as conceptually, arbitrage is when you take advantage of pricing differences in particular markets. So, like, you know, the one that we often talk about, you know, at the moment, or at least I do within my group of friends, is like crypto arbitrage. It's like when Bitcoin or Ethereum is priced differently on one exchange versus another, you can buy um, one of these tokens, send it to the other exchange, and then sell it for a uh, hopefully higher price. In a similar way, given that iron ore is an asset or a commodity, um, there is arbitrage that does occur within the industry. And so kind of to step through it, there are different grades of iron ore. So not all iron ore is made equal or comes from the ground equally. Um, Generally speaking, iron ore contains what they call hematite and magnetite, which are two compounds um, where lower grade has a higher percentage of uh, taconite, which is just a, a mineral compound which contains less iron. And so dependent on the type and the quality of iron ore, they'll sell for a higher price. So generally the rule of thumb obviously is a higher grade iron ore sells for a higher price. This is kind of an interesting concept because then you want to optimize for the highest grade iron ore. However, there are a few kind of challenges in doing that because there's always going to be a lot of supply and a lot of demand for iron ore, particularly different levels of quality. And when the iron ore is then refined by, you know, the customer to into steel or other products, doesn't necessarily matter the starting point because the end point is always going to be the same. The arbitrage here, Dan, that happens is that when iron ore is priced at really high. So, you know, in 2020, 2021, iron ore was, you know, peaking because of COVID, there were supply chain issues, there were shutdowns, things like that. Companies like Fortescue want to optimize for the highest price iron ore. So they're going to sell their high-grade iron ore because they're going to get the highest price. Iron ore is already peaking, which means if you sell your high-quality iron ore, you're going to fire up the furnaces. You're going to sell as much of it as you can. However, when iron ore is really low, you want to actually sell as little of iron ore as you want. So companies like Fortescue try to hold on to their high-quality iron ore reserves when the price is low and sell the low-grade stuff and sell as little of the low-grade stuff as they can. But when the price is really high, they want to sell as much of the high-end stuff as they possibly can. So, obviously, the reason for that is pricing. You can increase the profit that you get, and you can really see this in um, Fortescue's results when they've shipped around the same amount in tonnage of iron ore in FY20 and FY21, but there's been a huge increase in revenue in FY21 because the price increased substantially, and that was because of the difference in pricing. And then I guess the second thing is that the inputs that go into you know the process actually takes a lot of energy like you can't just easily turn on a blast furnace and you can't turn it on and off you can't turn the the smelting etc the entire process of extracting iron ore is actually a really intensive process that is difficult to stop and start and so when pricing changes dramatically you know they've got to make really really careful and considered decisions about what they start to sell, 
what they extract, uh, which then leads to them being really deliberate about how they optimize their business. So interesting industry. Yeah, it is. And I think the concept that I'm getting from that, and as I've sort of explored the commodity sector, is just, you know, it, it's so much about the supply and demand dynamics and that you want to sell and and get rid of your stock at certain times to be as, as efficient as possible. I think a lot of people, when they first heard of Fortescue sort of taking off last year, just looked at one input, which was, oh, the, the price of iron ore is shot up really, really high. There was a Brazilian mine which was having COVID issues and sort of earthquakes and other issues there, which lowered their production, which meant demand was still really high, but supply was constrained, funneling a lot of customers towards Fortescue Metal. That's sort of just one dynamic in a whole sort of ecosystem of levers and inputs. You know, as you're talking about, Albert, Fortescue are also trying to optimize for their own production costs, trying to minimize those as much as possible when prices are low, and then obviously ramping up things when prices are high. Because that's what stood out to me is when you mentioned the actual amount of iron ore which they shipped in 2021 is very similar to the amount they shipped in 2020. So they shipped 182 million wet metric tons in 2021. They only shipped... 4 million wet metric tons less in 2020. But in terms of their revenue, their operating sales revenue, they got about $10 billion more. So for four metric tons, they sort of, they, they managed to profit that in a way which was just extremely, extremely efficient. And that all goes down to some of these other inputs, which I think you can explain, Albert, when we go through the value chain of how, Fortescue Metal essentially takes iron ore out of the ground and then how do they get it out the door to their customers in various countries around the world? Yeah, I think as an interesting theme, like Fortescue isn't optimizing for revenue growth. Like if you have a look at their revenue growth historically, it's pretty lumpy and it goes up and down, up and down, up and down. Whereas for a lot of you know tech companies and companies that we do talk about on this pod, they, they are always optimizing for growth and not necessarily optimizing for profitability. Like it's hard to do both those things. And so Fortescue takes a really considered effort to optimize for like their profit margin and their EBIT margins rather than optimizing for like total growth. Because, you know, looking at those numbers, Dan, like the revenue obviously has done really, really well. But if they were really looking to grow and push the lever, like you'd be trying to sell as much of your product as you can. So you'd be increasing the amount of iron ore you're selling. So like to me, if you look at this business like you would a tech company, you would see like, oh, the price has gone up, like sell as much as you can. But the cost of selling as much as you can is actually really high because the cost of selling low-grade ore is higher than the cost of selling high grade ore, which is, it's like a weird concept to think about, right? Like your high end product is actually cheaper to sell than your low end product. Just quickly, let's like step through the value chain because, you know, for a lot of these companies, they're obviously very different to or the kind of companies that we talk about on the pod. Um, they're not software, they, they dig holes in the ground, they process that. So it's kind of worth stepping through like what they actually do and how the process goes from, you know, one of these holes into um, iron ore that's then sold and then distributed to customers. Um, so I'm um, just going to stepping through the value chain. It starts with exploration and discovery. And this is something that I remember we talked about during our um, 
Newcrest Mining. Newcrest, yes. Um, and so a lot of these companies, they'll, they'll search around Australia and the world looking for new um, dig sites, so new sites where they could um, find what they call deposits of iron ore or other minerals and start to, um, you know, do a testing, some like exploration digging just to see if there is value there. And like as a more of a comment, there's a lot of companies in Australia who go public just to raise money in order to do this. And if they hit big, then they hit big. Once they've like found, you know, a potential site, they do a, a bit of modeling, planning to understand what will be the cost, how long would it take, um, how do we ship things, like what's the infrastructure we need. Once they've settled on the modeling and the planning, um, they then start to use, um, you know, their technology and their infrastructure to then dig up um, the deposits, process the deposits, um, and then ship, you know, their iron ore, so the stuff that they've dug up um, and processed, uh, to ports. And then the ports are then um, loaded onto ships, or the, the iron ore is then loaded onto ships and then distributed out to customers. That's a pretty high-level value chain for how iron ore goes from um, a deposit into a customer and Fortescue plays all along that value chain. So not only are they processing, digging up, extracting, you know, shipping, they've also got ships. They've got cargo ships that go from ports to ports around the world. You know, one of the big trade routes is, you know, Perth, obviously, to China, uh, where they ship, you know, tons and tons of iron ore. Um, So Fortescue, almost a full stack, fully integrated um, business when it comes to iron ore. Yeah, and I think the reason I wanted to highlight that value chain is, you know, conceptually, I think it's quite easily easy to skip over some of the steps there. You know, when you just think, oh, well, they dig dirt out of the ground, if they put it into ships and they send it off to other countries. And you really need to understand some of the processing points to then understand where costs come in for Fortescue Metal. So as you sort of outlined there, Albert, you are digging dirt out of the ground and then within that dirt is a whole bunch of material you don't want. And then there's a whole bunch of iron ore that you do want. So there's sort of a sifting and processing cost there. Um, then as you mentioned, you've got rail and port costs as you transport the material, not only from the dig site, but to your processing area. And then again, to the ports and ships, which then ship it on. And then as you mentioned, there's the shipping costs as well. And this can all sort of come out when you look at the annual report and you see their production costs you can start to tick off, you know, those physical hold points with the main costs which are incurred by Fortescue Metal. You know, so they incur about $2 billion worth of processing costs, uh, which is just essentially sort of sorting out the iron ore from the other materials which they dig up. You have about $200 million of rail costs, again, $200 million of port costs, um, and then you've got the shipping cost, which surprised me was about $1.3 billion. So just shipping costs alone are maybe about 70% the cost of also just processing the iron ore from other materials. So like shipping is, is actually a very big uh, input for Fortescue Metal to control. And then another one, which you probably already knew, but it's hard to sort of remember how big of a, of a chunk it's taking out, is the government royalties, which Fortescue has to pay, in this case, the Western Australian state government, um, which is you know basically just a, a royalty for digging up 
commodity out of the land which the government sort of owns. That's a 7.5% royalty. So it, it's, it's one of those things where we go back to that concept of arbitrage. You've got all of these costs which Fortescue have basically fixed in place. How much does it cost to get uh, a hunk of iron ore out of the ground? And then anytime the price is higher than usual, you know, those fixed costs stay the same, but their profits rise because the price is higher. And that's when they really need to sell their product, get it out the door, because that's when they're going to make the most, most profit out of them. Yeah, exactly. And this thematically comes out as you read through all of Fortescue's materials, which is this like incredibly strict discipline to costs and kind of the operating hygiene of the business. Like even just across that value chain, like you can start to see areas where Fortescue could optimize for when they decide to start cutting costs. So like an example is like if you can send iron ore that you've processed to ports faster, it means you can then ship faster, which means you can then sell more. So by optimizing the time it takes, like a very small lever in the business, the time it takes to ship iron ore from the processing plant to a port, you could then sell more even if your cost base stays the same. Um, and this is like something thematically that comes out with uh, Fortescue is that they are co- not only trying to optimize for costs, but they're also trying to invest in new technology, which then enables to like enables them to do that. And they've got like a great slide in their kind of annual presentation, Dan, that just shows like all the different tech that they're looking to invest in, like autonomous haulage, which means like automatic you know, vehicles that will allow trains or freight carriers that drive iron ore from, you know, processing plants or mines to processing plants, et cetera, that they're trying to use advanced machine learning and data analytics to understand, you know, where they mine their deposits, how much is left. Um, Yeah, it's a very interesting technology-enabled business, even if the business itself isn't tech. Totally. And I think the reason why this is important to highlight is if you are interested in investing in mining or commodity businesses, at some point you just have to realize that they're all selling the same commodity. You know, they're all selling iron ore, they're all selling, you know, coal or whatever the case might be. And what should really direct your choice as to which companies you're investing in is the quality of their internal processes. Because if um, taking Fortescue Metal, for example, if it only costs them, say, $34 per metric ton to deliver iron ore to another place, but another company it costs $40 per metric ton, then you just understand that the profit margins for Fortescue are always going to be better whether in low-price environments or in high-price environments. And in high-price environments, they're actually just going to be exponentially sort of better there. And so that's how you can really... You know, I think a lot of people invest in iron ore or some of these commodity markets just based on the price of the commodities at a certain time when really you should be looking not only at the price but also at the businesses and saying, oh, these are really great operators. This is where I should be allocating towards. For sure, for sure. And this might be a good transition into you know, what else Fortescue is doing because they're now trying to be more than just a commodity business. Like iron ore is called a bulk commodity because like you said, it is literally the same everywhere once you've refined it. Um, and so there's probably uh, a future where iron ore isn't that important 
because of how it's dug up or because it's just going to be all gone. And so Fortescue are preparing for that future. Dan, do you want to talk about this? Yeah, so we mentioned their sort of subsidiary group, which is FFI, so Fortescue Future Industries. They've spent about $100 million over the past year just sort of gearing up their workforce. So I think across Fortescue Metals Group, there's about 10,000 employees. FFI is a tiny slice of that. There's about 300 uh, employees there. But they're very, very active at the moment visiting other countries. They visited over 50 different countries. A couple of months ago, you know, Twiggy Forrest, Andrew Forrest, the, the founder and owner of uh, Fortescue, he was all over the news because he was trying to sort of talk up green hydrogen in Britain and, and talk it up to some of the Europe European markets. Uh, and really they're going on a bit of a charm offensive because they're really ramping up the expenditure it seems like Fortescue is allocating about 10% of their net profits towards FFI and makes some people think that, you know, this is one of the most well-funded startups in essence because it really is like a startup, but it's backed by Fortescue in, in such a large way. And really the, the target for them is that they want to start shipping green hydrogen, which is a really interesting, um, what would you call it, Albert? It's a fuel essentially, isn't it? Yeah, it's an alternative source of energy where if you split a hydrogen, so the H2, into its constituent H and H atoms, you know, that splitting then provides energy. And so that's that's what green hydrogen effectively is, is an alternative source of energy. Yeah, and so th- that can be seen in different um, industries. So, for example, you know, electric cars get a lot of hype these days with Tesla and whatnot because they've got these batteries but there was sort of an alternative world maybe a couple of decades ago where there was a lot of talk about hydrogen-powered vehicles where uh, you essentially have canisters of hydrogen gas which then feed into uh, a fuel cell of sorts which then uses that hydrogen to power the car and then it spits out sort of H2O as a byproduct, which I should mention to my uh, year eight science teacher, I wrote that as an answer to a question on about tests. And she was like, ha, huh, yeah, like that's really possible. 100% <laughs> is possible. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. It's, it's, yeah, it's a process called hydrolysis. And, you know, water coming out the other end is a great byproduct because, you know, water's not toxic. <laughs> no, carbon, no carbon in water. It's great. Correct. Um, and so, you know, that's one application is obviously in cars. Um, at the moment, obviously, electric cars are the, the hot thing. But as an example of how it could compete is, you know, an electric car on average might take about 45 minutes or an hour to charge, whereas a hydrogen power car would be about five minutes because you're essentially just sort of topping up the hydrogen, which is a, which is a gas. So it's very, very quick. Um but where this, where Fortescue Future Metals or Future Industries rather is going is trying to power their sort of workforce and trying to power their machinery, heavy, heavy machinery. It, it's a really big industry that's really trying to transition and decarbonize. Um, and so if you think about just one of those inputs for Fortescue itself, the sort of smelting process where you have your iron ore pellets, which are going through this big furnace, it, it's kind of as you can imagine, you've got all these pellets of iron ore which are being melted down. How do you produce that much heat 
Well, they've just got a giant furnace, which they're like shoveling coal into, which produces obviously all these sort of byproducts. You can actually take out the coal and instead use hydrogen as the fuel to, to smelt it. Um, and that's what creates things like, you know, green steel and things like that, because it's a process of producing steel, which doesn't produce carbon dioxide and these other things that we don't want in the atmosphere. So it's a really interesting future direction for Fortescue. I like this theme with Fortescue as well, which is like nothing is free. Like they know for their business and their business is producing a lot of cash that in order to keep doing that, they need to invest in something new. And so that something is, you know, looking for efficiencies where they can, but then completely changing the game as to how they do things. And instead of waiting around for someone else to invent, you know, green hydrogen to help them improve their processes, you know, improve, you know, their costs, et cetera, like they are going out there and doing it. And 10% of their profit is like still a, a lot of money like that, that 120 mil in one year is an incredible amount to be reinvesting back into a really small part of the business, like 300 people or so and all these different technologies, like just to use one example, like you've, we talked about shipping iron ore from, you know, mines and processing plants to ports like that takes, you know, petrol and obviously the cost of fuel is rising and Fortescue can see that and they're probably seeing that for years. And so to combat that, they're now looking at ways that they can power their vehicles without fuel, which substantially decreases one of their input costs. So I think thematically, I really like what Fortescue is doing, which is like reinvesting back into the business to radically transform how they do business. Yeah, and I think where we might sort of go to is a little bit, let's address the elephant in the room, which is uh, Fortescue Metals has produced millions and millions of tons of carbon dioxide into the air um, through its its processes of, of mining iron ore and then also processing the iron ore. A lot of people sort of look at this, let's say, new green future for Fortescue with a little bit of cynicism where they say, you know, you've grown fat off polluting the environment and now you're trying to act like you're saving the environment. I think that's totally fair criticism but at the same time, they are putting their money where their mouth is and they are seeming to move in a greener direction. And I, I think you've got to embrace that to a certain degree. What do, what do you think about that, Albert? Yeah, I mean, the, the cynic in me is like they're, they're obviously doing it because it makes them profitable, right? And there's, not, there's nothing wrong with that because as they invest in this technology, the, the world will benefit from that in the same way that you know Elon Musk investing in, in Tesla and building that company is self-serving to you know his back pocket. But that also helps, you know, the world as well. Like you can do something good in a capitalist society. It's like a high-level comment. <laughs> a good comment. I, I think the other thing to just switch on is that there are a couple of factors driving, I think, the push towards green hydrogen. So hydrogen as an energy source already exists. Um, and there's a lot of brown hydrogen out there, which is essentially hydrogen, which is created through sort of carbon intensive fuel sources so for a lot of coal and, and other manufacturing processes hydrogen can be produced as a byproduct but that's obviously not very renewable what we've seen is with european gas prices really jumping because of uh, the ukraine conflict uk and russia conflict that that's really putting a squeeze on other energy sources like liquefied natural gas 
which is one of the sort of more usual ways of producing hydrogen. And it goes back to that concept of arbitrage, which is why I'm so glad we sort of did it at the top, Albert. Now, because the cost of creating brown hydrogen is a lot higher because the price of LNG is a lot higher, now there's this whole industry which is looking to invest into green hydrogen because they see a pricing opportunity. We're actually producing green hydrogen with renewable energies is a really cost-effective way of doing things. And governments are stepping in behind it as well to provide subsidies and other funding, which just makes it a really attractive investment uh, opportunity. Yeah. And there's a lot of co- comments about hydrogen as like an energy source. And I think the government uh, last year or the year before that put out like a transition plan, like to use hydrogen as a transition fuel to a, you know, like a solar or a, a more sustainable energy future. Like Andrew Forrest and FFI have obviously gone all in on hydrogen as the green fuel source because they obviously believe that it can be done really cheap and at, you know, zero emissions. And so I think that's an interesting future that Andrew Forrest sees and, you know, could could be the case. But like, like I said before, you know, companies investing in this technology to make us more, you know, carbon neutral, carbon free, to, to really push us as a country and as globally uh, towards net zero or decarbonization is a positive, even if they were one of the countries or companies that put us there to begin with. Like, they're, at least they're owning up and fixing their mistakes rather than, you know, just taking the money and going and, and just facing public criticism wherever they go. Well, I don't know if they're fixing their mistakes, but they're, they're definitely moving in a more positive direction. <laughs> and I, I think that's sort of, I think, where we personify companies perhaps too, too much. And obviously, Andrew Forrest is a, a very well-known figure. He's essentially the face of Fortescue Metals. So it's very easy to personify him as this sort of carbon company producing all this pollution into the world. But, you know, companies exist for hundreds of years uh, Volkswagen, for example, has a bit of uh, a past to it. Hugo Boss as well in terms of sort of the Nazi regimes in, in Germany. Companies can exist and I think better themselves into the future. And as investors, I think we should be much more worried about where companies are going than necessarily just where they've come from. And in that sense, Fortescue has a pretty exciting future with hydrogen energy as a potential I guess what you'd call like an offtake from their iron ore business. Like this is is not going to be their business anytime soon, but they are targeting 2030 as like uh, a key milestone where they'll get out about 15 million tons of hydrogen into the market. And I think from there, you'll start to see a really big step up in that being a key part of their, their future business. Yeah. A challenge with green hydrogen is that it's actually really hard to transport hydrogen gas. Like the gas itself is highly flammable, you know, it, it can react with different things like... Like hydro- the Hindenburg. Like, <laughs> there, there you go. Um, pulling out a bit more year eight science, Dan, I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so hydrogen itself is, yeah, not very... Um, obviously, at the moment, not very cheap. Green hydrogen, not very cheap. But once you make it cheap, you've also got this challenge of like, how do you actually transport it, bring it places? How do you use it safely? And um, equally to FFI's green hydrogen investment... They're also looking at green ammonia. Like ammonia is um, for people who, who also haven't done urate science. Uh, one, <laughs> one hydrogen atom, oh, sorry, one uh, nitrogen atom and three uh, hydrogen atoms. 
And so ammonia is a safe way to store hydrogen. Like you can store ammonia really easily. It's safe. It's non-reactive generally. And so as part of that, they're looking to understand how you use green ammonia, how you store it, how you ship it, how you transport it, but then ultimately how you break green ammonia at scale to give off hydrogen. And so FFI can currently looking at how you use hydrogen as an energy, but also how you store hydrogen as ammonia in order for it to be used. So like I said, they're, they're really a full stack business when it comes to everything that they do. They want to own all parts of that value chain. Yeah, and I think I might have skipped over probably the key difference between green hydrogen and brown hydrogen, which is, you know, brown hydrogen, how do we get hydrogen in the world? Well, uh, it's, you know, a gas, it's sort of everywhere, but its most common form is H2O or in water. But H2O has got some oxygen atoms uh, in it, which you don't want to have with your pure hydrogen fuel source. So the process of separating hydrogen from the other atoms requires energy and at the moment there's sort of two main ways of doing it one is with methane where you sort of use steam and heat to separate the hydrogen from the oxygen uh, the, but that way is obviously carbon intensive um, and it's not sustainable the alternative is you know you use electricity to separate the atoms and electricity can either be produced through brown sources like coal, etc. But more and more now, they're being produced by things like wind farm, solar, etc. So that's how you get, at the end of the day, when you call it things like green hydrogen, it's actually a whole value chain where it starts with having green electricity, which then feeds into the process of separating the hydrogen from other molecules. Um, and then you've got green hydrogen. I think this is probably a good place to start wrapping up because... We, we talk about a lot of innovative companies on this podcast and, you know, some of them, you know, Meta, Netflix, Roblox, et cetera, C, Amazon, like they're all very important companies. But the future of those companies is going to probably be very similar to what they are now with a few fringe exceptions. Whereas Fortescue, like the future of Fortescue is going to be completely different to what this business is now, Dan. And so how do you see that playing out as to, you know, the success and health of this business moving forward? Well, I think as we've been talking about, green hydrogen is, is going to be front and center, but I don't think they're actually going to move away from, you know, the iron ore industry. Like that is their bread and butter. I, I think for the foreseeable future, the world is going to be using lots of iron ore, lots of metals. Um, there's been some sort of geopolitical tensions between Australia and China. And the one constant is like their imports of Australian iron ore. It's just like they, they can't get enough of it. And I think that demonstrates just how robust an industry it's going to be moving forward. But where Fortescue's play into hydrogen energy is, I think, really synergistic, to use sort of a consultancy term, is the steel processing uh, industry can really actually benefit from green hydrogen energy. It's not like this is a completely side or separate business which they're starting up they can leverage their contacts in the steel manufacturing processing uh, industry to just already have a ready-made client not only in-house within Fortescue Metals but also in some of the other adjacent companies who work in the same industry so I, I think that's sort of the future for them is really becoming a leader in green uh, hydrogen 
particularly in the iron ore industry, and then there'll probably be some adjacencies uh, in other commercial uh, spaces too. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. The other thing I'd add to that is, you know, as part of my kind of investment philosophy and what I look for in companies, I really like companies that are like strong cash flow generating businesses, like not necessarily like profit from an accounting perspective, but like, do they have a lot of cash coming in into their bank and can they reinvest that cash? And Fortescue are in a really fortunate position where they're making like billions of dollars in cash, like real cash that goes into their bank account that they can then invest back into other things. And so when I look at what Fortescue could be, like green energy and green ammonia is just the beginning and that's just, you know, two, three years for them now that they've started and embarked on that journey. Like who knows what they're going to do next year with the amount of cash they get year on year. Who knows what they're going to do in five years because they could start to expand, you know, across the like innovation value chain and do more than just energy. They could do, you know, alternative agriculture. They could do future food, future water. Like Fortescue could be a major player in everything that we need, food, energy, resources, etc. just because they've got a lot of money. It's a very bullish future, Albert. I actually, I've taken sort of the opposite view, which is I actually find them quite uh, predictable or certain. Like after going through all the annual reports and all of the sort of media and analysts reporting, like these are one. This is one of those companies where I feel very certain. I know which direction they're wanting to go over the next five, ten years. I felt the same way with Twitter as well before, obviously, Elon Musk uh, decided he wanted to purchase them. But I find that really quite comforting is, look, anything can happen in the world, uh, COVID can happen and plans go awry, but it's a great indicator if you can look at a business and just understand where that team wants to be going. Um, and then you as an invest investor can have a, a pretty good crack at deciding whether you want to be on board with that vision or not. Um, and so that's sort of my big plus with Fortescue is I'm, I'm pretty certain where they want to be going and how they're going to be getting there. Whether it pans out, who knows? But like, I at least know which way they're pointing towards. Yeah, I think the signal I look at is just the name. The name is called Fortescue Future Industries, not Fortescue Green Hydrogen. And they've started with green hydrogen and green ammonia. But, you know, their message is leading the global energy transition. So when you look at something so broad and you look at the name Future Industries, like that's almost like, Bruce Wayne-esque to me in terms of like <laughs> what what they're trying to be. Well, maybe we should wrap up there, Albert, before we become too praiseworthy of Fortescue. I should mention uh, that as part of their sort of Fortescue Future Industries um, promotional blitz, they were actually offering, I think, around $5,000 for people to sort of post a photo of themselves on social media with something about green hydrogen and how it's sort of going to be the future. Uh I feel like we've been taken a bit, Albert, because we're not getting paid for this episode, but we should have reached out to someone first. <laughs> $5,000 for a photo of Greek. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> it's to build awareness and, strength, and strengthen Fortescue Future Industries advocacy That's, through authentic user-generated content. <laughs> that is so funny. That is good to know. All right. Well, uh, I'll keep that in the back pocket for um, you know next time I need a cheeky 5K. Uh, so, final verdict, Albert. I think we've already mentioned it, but uh, why don't we do a, a quick summary? Look, I think it's a great business. Obviously, very healthy from you know performance perspective, and I like that they're investing 
to optimize the business, but, you know, from a mission perspective also to transition us to a better world. Yep, I agree. Love the business. I think their sort of management team, the execution team, it's all really gold standard. And I think you mentioned it sort of earlier in the episode, Albert, you know, the one word the sort of describer you'd use for them is like, it's a blue chip company. Like this is what you think of when you say blue chip. Um, and I think that's a really, really praiseworthy thing to, to slap onto them um, if you're interested in this sector as, as an investment. I like the Bored Ape Yacht Club equivalent of ASX companies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many people understand that reference, Albert. Let's call it. I'll see you tonight for a steak dinner, Dan. <laughs> yeah, for those that don't know, Albert's getting really into NFTs, which is why the Bored Apes uh, reference came out. All right, Albert, let's finish up there. Thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about companies and investing told in a refreshingly simple way. Follow us if you haven't already. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.